Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the trade addicts podcast thank you and enjoy your podcast Can you guys wake me up when September starts and the season's ready here? That's Sam Stompy Lane. Illuminati. I am John, special guest, regular host, Hogue. And this is the Super Flex Super Show. We are back. Coming off of the live draft shows. We took a week break. I'm actually not even supposed to be here, boys. This uh, I was I was gonna be working on a special project, and uh, it, it didn't happen this week. So uh, I'm not actually supposed to be here. I just knew that you guys were gonna pummel Marcus Mariota uh, if left unchecked. So uh, I figured I should jump in. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys set this episode up since, like I said, I I'm uh, it, it's a fluke that I'm even here. By the way, he called us a consolation prize. That's how much John Hogue loves us. <laughs> Plan B, we were referred to as, yeah. Plan B at worst. Always no worse than Plan B. That's pretty good, man. It's not bad. That's, that's pretty solid for a couple Mariota haters. Oh, boy. Well, we're going to get into it. Uh, <laughs> so I had this idea that we've been talking about the draft a lot lately. I mean, we as in a community, um, mostly about the rookie prospects. And I really wanted to talk about veteran players whose situations got worse or better with the draft, with the offseason in general. So that's the idea behind this episode is we're going to look at three different players each whose situations got worse this offseason and three different players whose situations improved this offseason. So with that in mind, I guess I'll start it off here. And just to be the uh, typical Superflex Super Show um, haters, we're going to start with Eric Ebron. Let's get him. <laughs> so we know Eric Ebron's touchdown percentage wasn't going to maintain. Um, he had 15 touchdowns last season. Is that right? That sounds uh, right, yeah. And – he got a lot more competition this offseason, and that makes me very wary. So not only did I think he was going to regress on touchdowns, thir- sorry, 13 total touchdowns. Not only did I think he was going to regress on touchdowns, but the Colts just added uh, Paris Campbell in the draft. They added another big body uh, red zone threat in Devin Funches. And he's actually a decent receiver, whether you think so or not. He actually has decent 
been decent the last two seasons. And he's, like I said, that red zone, end zone threat for Andrew Luck. Jack Doyle, while he is still dealing with hip injuries, is projected to be back this season. And so I don't know where the the targets are going to come from now. I mean, last season when Jack Doyle went down, you saw Eric Ebron's snap percentage go back up. And then when he came back, Jack Doyle came back, it went back down again. And then when he went back out, it went up again. So what that tells me is Jack Doyle is going to be on the field more often than Eric Ebron. And he's probably going to siphon some targets, not to mention Paris Campbell's going to siphon targets, not to mention Devin Funches is going to si- siphon targets. They also have Naheem Hines there, who is a very good pass catcher. So I think he's going to finish out, and, and this might be a little bit of a, or not a, a very lukewarm take, but I, I just can't see him finishing in the top six tight ends this season. And that seems to be kind of where he's going right now is I think four or five. Yeah, I, I agree with your take. I think I, um, I, I will say that out of all those guys you just mentioned, what scares me the most is the biggest threat to him in the red zone is Devin Funches. And I don't know how big of a threat that is. And it seems like that's kind of where Ebron made his hay was in the red zone. So um, I, I think the returning Jack Doyle uh, is, is really the big thing there is uh, the fact that, you know, if Jack Doyle is healthy, that could cut into his, his, you know, targets a bunch in the red zone. So I, I think I agree with you. I don't think any of us are, uh, are very high on Eric Ebron moving forward. We weren't last year though, and we got burned a little bit. Um, so yeah, what do you think, John? Uh, where you, where you stand on Ebron this year? No, I think we're in lockstep on this one. This and this is a this is a pretty easy one. I mean, you know, a, a big part of what happened last year was just a complete lack of red zone weapons. And well, I, I, I think I think just a complete lack of weapons in general, right? Well, yeah, T.Y. Hilton, and Ebron, and then who? Yeah, definitely. But I mean, even then, it's not like they were using. Ebron a whole lot. I mean, where he did his damage is with those 15 touchdowns, which is a total outlier number, especially for the tight end position that scored, you know, what, roughly 20% of the touchdowns scored in 2018. So, you know, for a, for a tight end to score at that rate is, is just, I mean, absolute fluke, just screaming regression. And I, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of yardage for him. There were times where he would, you know, he would catch like one or two passes for two touchdowns <laughs> for a touchdown or two. Like that was, that was kind of the story of his season. It wasn't a lot of yardage. It wasn't a high volume of receptions. So, you know, the, the, even with the lack of, you know, viable targets, he was still, he was getting in the end zone. So yeah, I mean, all you need is somebody else who's a threat to score, whether it's the running game from, you know, a little bit of a distance, whether it's Jack Doyle, whether it's Devin Funches, whether it's Paris Campbell. I mean, there, there are plenty of, of, of ways to spread this out now that you just didn't have in 2018. So yeah, this is a, to me, this one's a slam dunk. And I, 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 I mean, I really didn't think that there was any way that it was going to happen anyways. But yeah, with the acquisitions, with everybody getting healthier, I I don't see any way for Eric Ebron to even come close, to even even hit half of the touchdowns that he got last year. 
not to mention Andrew Luck threw the ball 639 times last season. Yeah, they don't want that either. So I I would think that they're not going to top that. So yeah, I there's just no there's no way that Ebron reproduces what he did last season. Yeah. All right, James, why don't you give us one of yours? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I, I think this one's kind of lukewarm too. We're starting out, uh, you know, putting our putting our toe in the water, testing it out here. But I'm going to go with Willie Sneed. And really, this this one's more about, and I think I think you said it uh, early with Ebron, so we, we have some similarities there, is it, it's all about the supporting cast imp- uh, improving around him. Um, so I think he's going to have, you know, it, it looked like he was, he, he was in line to be the wide receiver one in Baltimore. I mean, they really didn't have anybody else that I think was going to compete for him there. John Brown was leaving, and it, it just looked like everything was shaping up for Willie Sneed to, to be in a position to be, you know, fantasy, fantasy, not only fantasy relevant, but maybe a wide receiver one on his squad. And then the draft happened, and Baltimore took, uh, you know, uh, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown in the first round, and then they added Miles Boykin later. And really, those two receivers complement each other so well. You have Boykin, who's a bigger receiver, a guy who can go up and get those jump balls, um, a, a red zone threat type guy. You still have Mark Andrews there in the second year of his system, in that system, and um, well, it's a new system, but in the second year in Baltimore, working uh, with Lamar Jackson now for a little bit longer, and it's a tight end position. So the longer that you go, the more comfortable a lot of those tight ends seem to be. So I expect him to take a step forward. And now you have you know a whole lot more competition for targets there. And I know, Stompy, you and I both are high on Lamar Jackson. We both think that Baltimore is going to pass the ball an awful lot more than they did last year. But still, there's only one ball to go around, right? And with Mark Ingram there now, too, and the running game improving, I would think, uh, I, I don't know how much opportunity is there for Willie Sneed. So, um, again, this is a guy who's pretty young. I mean, he's only 26 still, uh, but I don't I don't see the opportunity being there, at least, at least for the long term either. Um, I would think maybe at the start of the season he might be useful, but once these rookies kind of get their, their feet under him and get used to the system, I think he gets phased out pretty quickly. Um, so... What do you guys think about Willie Sneed? Am I on? Am I uh, am I right on with this, or or what do you guys think? I think I agree uh, for the season as a whole. Uh, I will say Willie Sneed actually had the uh, second most targets from Lamar Jackson uh, last season to John Brown. Believe it or not, a lot of people thought that John Brown wasn't getting targeted. They just weren't throwing the ball a lot when Lamar Jackson came in last season. Uh, and he actually caught the most balls from Lamar Jackson last season. I think that had a lot to do with getting the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands in that system. And I agree, they're going to be changing the offense around and build it around Lamar Jackson. I do think Mark Andrews will be more involved. I really like Miles Boykin. I think he's super underrated uh, and, and could be a viable wide receiver too in the near future maybe not next season but in the next couple three seasons he could be a viable wide receiver too in my head uh so yeah i mean he's he's a willis needs a slot guy uh he's going to be a safety valve but i would expect mark andrews to take more of that i would expect um and we we forget about guys like justice hill and mark ingram who are both very capable pass catchers who could take underneath targets as well so yeah, I, I obviously from where 
he started being the wide receiver to one where where he has is at now in a more a much more murky situation i definitely agree so it overall i agree i mean it as far as you know just the the long-term outlook of this offense yeah it's gonna go through probably hollywood brown more than anyone and uh and definitely Boykin is going to be involved, and then the tight ends, of course. Uh, I but I will say, for fantasy purposes, I mean, just looking at the DLF uh, April Superflex ADP here, out of you know over 260 players drafted, including names like David Moore, Demarius Thomas, Ted Ginn Jr., Kevin White, Braxton Berrios, Brashad Perriman. Willie Sneed didn't get drafted in any of those mocks. He doesn't have an ADP. So, I mean, I think that he, so, you know, I think, I think that there, he's still kind of at a point where I think that he's a value. I mean, I think that he's going to get enough work here in year one. We don't, we can't really expect a whole lot out of the rookies in year one. Whereas, you know, Lamar Jackson has had a full year now with Willie Sneed. I there's you know there's probably a certain comfort level there so I think that Willie Sneed is still a value for fantasy purposes because I think that he's going to get the attention of Lamar Jackson much quicker than these uh, rookie wide receivers will and I think that he's going to get enough volume at least in 2019 to to make up for the I I mean again just the the fact that he wasn't even drafted in five mock drafts in April for Superflex. Yeah, and, no, I, I I agree that uh, I I think Willie Sneed is still fantasy relevant, and I agree that he's probably uh, underrated at this point because he should be drafted at that point, I would think. But um, you know, really, the question I'm I'm trying to answer with this is whose situation got worse this offseason? And I agree with everything you guys are saying. I still think there is some fantasy relevance with him, but obviously the waters are muddied now. I mean, before it was, you know, there was Willie Steen, there was really no one else. I mean, when John Brown left, you know, for, for this off season, it looked for a while, like, man, Baltimore's not really addressing the receiver position. It's a weak free agent class. I think we all expected them to address the wide receiver position in the draft, but I don't know that we expected a first round receiver and a second receiver at it as well. Um, to me, that was, that was a lot that, that, and, and it was two guys that I think, um, I, I personally, I'm, I'm high on, on, uh, uh, like like Stompy is, I'm also high uh, on Boykin, and you know, I, with the draft capital that they spent on Hollywood Brown, I think he gets playing time pretty early too. So while I think you guys are both right, I think there is still some fantasy relevance in Sneed. His situation to me got worse, and I think it's notably worse than what it was or what it could have been, and, and what it seemed like it was uh, early in this off season. Definitely long term. I just I, I think in 2019, I don't I don't know that a whole lot changes. But I mean, that being said, I I did kind of expect that type of draft from them. I did expect them to get multiple wide receivers. I just didn't care. I and I mean, me and Stompy have argued quite a bit about this. It it didn't matter to me who which wide receivers they brought in. I just I don't like to trust rookie wide receivers. And I, I am still more inclined to trust Willie Sneed to get the attention of Lamar Jackson than either of those rookies. 
Fair enough. Uh, John, why don't you give us your first player that got had a worse situation? All right. For me, this is actually kind of a surprising one a little bit, but Tariq Cohen, I think, actually is affected the most by the draft of David Montgomery. Just because I see David Montgomery being the three down back, and I think he's going to be a little it's going to be a little difficult to take him off of the field, even on third down, even on passing downs. I think that he he's a, a good enough pass catcher that you want to get the ball in his hands. It gives credibility to to your entire offense. You know, it, there's still the threat that they run the ball as long as he's on the field, whereas as soon as Street Cohen comes on the field, you know what's coming. So I, I just think that Tariq Cohen probably is going to lose some snaps over this, uh, just, just, you know, on face value. So I think, uh, I think that Tariq Cohen is affected the most on that entire offense by the signing of David Montgomery, the drafting of David Montgomery. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll start. I don't know that I agree to be honest with you. And I, I understand what you're saying. I agree with, with your, the, with your, you know, if if I was thinking about it like you were, I I would agree with that. Basically, the way I see what Tariq Cohen is, I think that offense is innovative enough to be able to use him and use his skill set that he possesses. So, what I would expect is I almost expect Tariq Cohen to get motioned out a lot and play in the slot because I think he can be that wide receiver. I think he can be that home run hitter that they hoped Taylor Gabriel would be. Um, he's been a guy who they've had to manufacture touches for. He hasn't been that home run threat, at least consistently. I think Cohen might be that guy. He might be that guy who they decide, you know what, we're going to get him the ball in open space. We're going to manufacture the touches for him instead of Gabriel. So how do we do that? Well, let's, let's motion him out of the backfield. Let's get him you know, the mismatches we can. So I think they're going to utilize him different. I don't think he's going to get the volume that he got last year. Um, and I, I definitely agree that David Montgomery can do a lot of the, a lot of the things that, uh, that he can do, um, that Cohen can do. But I think Cohen is such an electric playmaker in the open field that that's where you want to get him the ball. So I think this coaching staff is innovative enough to do that. And so I think he's going to be more efficient. He's going to have to be more efficient if he's going to be fantasy relevant. Um, with his touches, but I, I think the volume goes down. But I think this, I, I have faith in this coaching staff that they can do that, that they're going to be innovative enough to get him the ball in space and also, you know, be able to use some double moves and get him, get him the ball deep. I think he's good enough at, uh, at as a receiver from what I've seen um, to be able to do that, to make that transition to almost a pseudo receiver out of the backfield, uh, a guy that they can motion out just to get those. Um, those mismatches that they might look for. So um, I, I agree to an extent, but to an extent, I think that the Bears offense can use him uh, and utilize him in different ways to keep him fantasy relevant, if that makes sense. You called him an electric playmaker. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's, it, it, it's a slip of the tongue. It happens, but let's I, be clear. He is no Chris Carson. Oh my goodness. Oh no, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I need a correcting on that. Thank you. So, so here's the other problem. And, and again, I jumped in on this late, so I'm kind of approaching it a little bit more from a fantasy standpoint than you guys are. Um, you know, just, I, I just prepped for this a little differently because, uh, uh, I wasn't even planning on being here, but not to make excuses or anything, but so is from an NFL standpoint, maybe it doesn't cut into his workload a whole lot 
for fantasy purposes, for dynasty purposes, here's the problem is Tariq Cohen is going as the, in April was going as the 20th running back with a sixth round ADP. That is way, way, way too high, especially now that there's a, a, you know, a true workhorse running back ahead of him. So I, I get both sides of this argument. Uh, the player that David Montgomery had the most comparisons to, to or the closest comparison to is Kareem Hunt. Well, guess who the uh, offensive coordinator of Kansas City was in Kareem Hunt's rookie 2.0? I mean, you're definitely not going to get Patrick Mahomes type um, numbers from Mitch Trubisky, but look, when you look at the guys around him, you have a guy like Kareem Hunt and David Montgomery. You have a guy somewhat like uh, Tyreek Hill in Tariq Cohen uh, that can be kind of a gadget player, especially from, I believe, that 2016 season when he was used to run the ball a decent amount. Uh, he was used to uh, do like quick slants and, and run the ball into the end zone. He was using a return game. Um, and then you, and then you have somebody uh, similar to Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson. So it, it just seems like that's how they're trying to build that, or he's trying to build that team right now. The other thing is I don't, I didn't expect Tariq Cohen to continue to produce like he, he did last season. He was the RB 11, even though he had a under a hundred, rushing attempts which tells you that he was very much involved in the pass game he was actually pretty efficient with the ball in his hands when he when he caught it and you just don't see that i mean we saw like duke johnson was a top or an rb1 in 2017 he fell off i mean there was extenuating circumstances there and that's the same thing that i expect this year i don't think james white is going to continue to be an rb1 i don't think Tariq Cohen's going to continue to be an RB1. So I think it's tough to say what they're going to do. They do need that second pass catcher, that second reliable pass catcher. I think, um, and, and Jay Mike's probably screaming as he's listening to this. Uh, but Anthony Miller showed something last season. I just don't know what that something is. Is it going to be a reliable wide receiver too? Or is... Cohen going to be that reliable pass catcher, uh, second pass catcher. And really he was probably the first pass catcher for uh, the Chicago bears last season. So I can definitely see them being innovative with Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. Um, like, like Nagy was last year and in Kansas city, but at the same time, like a, a legitimate three down back gives you a, an advantage that not a lot of teams have because you can't expect run or pass with a three down back out there. All right. So I'll go ahead with my second player and that's Corey Davis. And I hear, I, I think I, I actually heard screams from the future on this one because a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people don't want to admit that Corey Davis may not be, that great of a fantasy asset moving forward wait 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 what's the question here did his situation get worse or is he just a bad player yes they're two different things i I think his situation got worse but i think he was also (laughs) 
he also a lot of his hype was built on raw potential. You guys are changing the rules on me. I'm not, but I'm I'm not changing the rules. I will talk about why the situation got worse. I'm not going to start arguing about whether he's a good football player or not. He's a fine football player. Okay, I just think AJ Brown's AJ Brown's better. So, and and speaking of AJ Brown, they they signed a, and I think a lot of people had AJ Brown as the wide receiver one in this class. I mean, you can make arguments for Nikhil Harry, whatever. It doesn't matter. A.J. Brown's a very good wide receiver. He was very productive in the SEC. He had two um, 1,000-yard seasons in the SEC uh, with Ole Miss, and they didn't have a fantastic – let's be real. They didn't have a fantastic offense. So you're going into a situation that is low pass volume. Uh, Corey Davis, I believe, was fifth in um, market share last season. Let me look this up. Sorry. Six in market share or, or total air yards, uh, share of teams, uh, air yards percentage was fifth or sixth. Sorry. And he still only produced 900 yards and four touchdowns. So that just tells you it's, it's a low volume or passing volume offense. They've already said they wanted to commit more to Derrick Henry in the run. And then they go ahead and sign Adam Humphreys. They go ahead and uh, draft A.J. Brown, a, a fantastic receiver in his own right. And then we have guys like Delaney Walker coming back, who was Mariota's favorite target for his first three seasons before Mariota or before uh, Delaney Walker got hurt last season. So there's just not a lot of volume to go around there. And then you add more – uh, more pass catchers, and I just don't see how Corey Davis can take a step forward. And really, I I foresee him taking a step back. And whether you want to believe that Marcus Mariota is a good quarterback or not, he still ha- at maximum has f- like 443 attempts, um, and that's just not a high volume passing offense. And I am. <laughs> Me, James, and I think I speak for James as well. I, I think we both think that Mariota's a mediocre quarterback at best. He definitely, and yes, you can argue injuries here. I get it. You can argue, oh, in 2017, he didn't have Corey Davis, which is its own little thing, quantum, whatever you want to call it, anomaly there. Um, I just... I don't know if Marcus Mariota is a quarterback of the future there, and it, they seem to be committed to the run. So I don't, I don't like Corey Davis this season or in the near future. I'm not going to waste any time here because I'm just going to say I agree with everything Stompy said, and I don't really have much more to add to it. So John, this this one's on you, and I have a feeling that uh, that you're gonna you're gonna shed some light on uh, on the other side of this argument, right? Well, I, I, no, not really. I mean, I think all of that's fine. It's, it's, it just kind of stands to reason that, like you said, you get Delaney Walker back, you get, you bring in Adam Humphreys, you draft AJ Brown. I mean, all, all of that just, you know, even, even when the volume, not if, but when, even when the passing volume goes up, they're still just all those targets have to go somewhere. It can't be just Corey Davis anymore. So I agree with the fact that the situation got worse. I don't agree with the fact that Corey Davis is not a good player. I still think that he's not only is he a good player, I think he's the best wide receiver on that team. I really do. And I think that Marcus Mariota 
is more than capable of supporting multiple fantasy relevant pass catchers. So I, I think that Delaney Walker can be, you know, a top 15 tight end. I think that AJ Brown can be, I mean, as good as you can expect from a rookie wide receiver. And I think Corey Davis is still going to be the, the top option in that offense, at least for this year. I mean, hold I on, hold on. I, now I got, I got a, <laughs> got a bone to pick with that one. You think Marcus Mariota is capable of, of supporting multiple pass catchers? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's been no evidence. Well, there's one season here where he supported a top 24 wide receiver mm-hmm. and a top five tight end. Mm-hmm. One instance in four seasons. Yeah, and who have those wide receivers been? The, I, <laughs> I mean, Mar- Corey Davis isn't proven to be that wide receiver either, right? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know about that. I've, I, I think that we've seen more from Corey Davis in a year and a half than we've seen we had seen from any of. Mariota's previous wide receivers. Well, except for his previous wide receiver finishes a wide receiver 19. That's the best finish. And that was in 2016. And I believe that was probably Richard Matthews. Yeah. Richard Matthews. Yeah. Which I, I mean, or do you really believe that Richard Matthews is a better wide receiver than Corey Davis, a better player than Corey Davis? I mean, up threat? to, up to this point, he has been. Yes. Okay, Corey Davis has been in elite for a year and a half. Okay, that's fine. And Corey Davis is the reason that Richard Matthews is no well, longer he's been on in that league team. For two, two seasons. Let's be real here. He's actually been in the league for two seasons. He's only played whatever twenty four games. Yeah, yeah, a season and a half that he's been actually on the field. That's fine. I'm just saying. And he already Mary- has pushed out Richard Matthews. Again, he's the reason that Richard Matthews didn't have a, a role on that team anymore. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, but I'm just saying, and you know me, I am a prove-it person. Richard Matthews, to date, has been a better wide receiver for Marcus Mariota than Corey Davis was. And Marcus Mariota has yet to prove that he can support more than one I, I shouldn't. He's done it one time in his four seasons. One time when he's been healthy. He's been healthy three of those four seasons. Uh, I don't know about that one. He ended. He ended his rookie season with a broken leg. Thought that I'm pretty sure that was a sophomore season, but no, that was his rookie year. It was his rookie season. Okay. Yeah, I I have no idea about 2017. I'll admit that 2018, uh, in 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 2017. I mean, what did he really have at wide receiver at that point? They had they had Corey Davis. They had, when all well, they had Corey Davis as a rookie for half of that season, the second half of that season. When you're not going to get anything out of your rookie wide receiver, anyways, even if he is on the field. Uh, okay, all I'm saying is, until he proves it. I don't believe that, and the, and I don't believe this offense will allow him to support more than one fantasy viable pass catcher. Okay, but that's a danger. Is that really how you're going to play dynasty? Because you would have said the same. Right. Thing about Tyler I, Boyd. I I but I've said I I said it in terms of guys like I that 
haven't shown me anything. Like Marcus Mariota has not shown me anything beyond being a serviceable quarterback. He was beyond serviceable in uh, 2016. I mean, he was the QB 13. So he was, he finished outside of the, out of QB, outside of QB one. That's the, that's the line for serviceable now. I mean, I mean I, yeah, right. I I don't think not in Superflex. That's you. All right, yeah. All right, Val. Val, fair enough in Superflex. So he's had the one year of serviceable or one year of good QB play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in and three. then he had, in and three. then he had a, and then he had. From there, he had another year where he had nothing at wide receiver. Okay, well then, then here's another question. What about Derek Carr? How do you feel about Derek Carr? Uh, roughly the same. I think Derek Carr is is in for some positive regression now that he's got a receiving core as well. And and I, I think I fully agree with that. But Derek Carr has proven more to me mm-hmm. than Marcus Mariota has. They act, And they have very, very similar career arcs at this point, too. I mean, the, the year that everybody loves to point to with Derek Carr, which was 2017, that was the year where he had the the back issues like yeah. Mariota had this in 2018. But he still had 22 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Yeah, how much of that was before he before the broke? I'd have to look at game logs. But he, yeah. I mean, he played 15 games. Right. Yeah he he played, but I mean, he he shouldn't have necessarily. He right. wasn't wasn't particularly good. And then in 2018, he had nothing. It, it, wide receiver and, and we're talking about the exact same thing with Mariota just they just swapped seasons well but even then he still had over 4,000 passing yards 19 touchdowns 10 interceptions and and it, it, a lot of it might have to do with the offense that he is in mm-hmm. I mean if we're talking in terms of fantasy yeah he could be again I, I'm going to use that word serviceable Yes, he had that one season, I believe in 2016. He had 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 3,400 yards. But that, to me, is kind of his ceiling at this point because that offense, I think, is more catered towards the run, and they've basically said as much both in the draft and with their rhetoric this offseason. So if we're talking fantasy football, I just don't know how viable – of a quarterback Marcus Mariota is. Yes, you're going to own him in Superflex because I still think he's probably a top 24 quarterback. Well, I mean, you're really going to own basically every <laughs> quarterback in the league right. at that point. But I just don't know if he ha- he will have the volume and he's in the offense to be even top 15 at this point. Uh, Well, I... Yeah, I just disagree. I mean, all of a sudden you've got weapons everywhere. You're not going to bring in A.J. Brown, Adam Humphreys, and get Delaney Walker back just to have them, uh, you know, run block. So, John, let me ask you a question. Does Mariota finish as a top 12 quarterback this season with all all the weapons that they brought in around him now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I I think that it's within the realm of possibility. I mean, top 12 might be a little ambitious, but yeah, I think it's doable. Okay. I'm just curious because I want to know what the threshold is and what we're expecting from a guy who has averaged 
just over one touchdown pass a game um, in his career. I tell you so, what, John, I will I will make a friendly podcast bet or we can do water bet or what have you mm-hmm. that Marcus Mariota does not finish as a top 15 quarterback this season. Yeah, I'd take that bet. All right. Yeah. Ooh, very I mean, interesting. Okay. I think top 15 is pretty easy. Anyway. By so, the way, what I really here's what I would really like to do. I would like to take both of you guys to the zoo and put you both in the same sleeping bag together and put that sleeping bag with the two of you in it into the elephant cage just and let them just kind of push you around, just like roll you around a little bit. I, I, I love you guys. I don't want you to get hurt, but I think that maybe this would humble you guys just a little bit to be the plaything of an, of an animal of a zoo animal. <laughs> I think that maybe you guys would come out of that with just a little bit more humility. You'd go from, from two people. This is such an absurd scenario. (laughs) seems like a thinly veiled threat. Yeah. And and the problem too is that threat it's, it's for your own good though. I, I, I think that you, yeah, I think that you guys might just come out of this with a totally different perspective of how to talk about a, a, and a peak level athlete. Oh, get out of here. Says the guy <laughs> that goes after guys like Eric Ebron or Jameis Winston. Well, Jameis Winston sucks, but he does. Suck. Oh, and I think, <laughs> I, I think the problem with, with your scenario is, is Stompy and I would come out of the sleeping bag as the weeder of of the elephants. We would, we would be, <laughs> we, think- we would become part of the pack and we would end up, becoming their leader. And so we wouldn't be humbled. We, if anything, it would be far worse. I don't think you understand how much of a monster I am, John. <laughs> yeah. Once, once we take I, down the first elephant, you know, like, it, you know, it, we, we humble the first elephant and we, you know, we, we, you know, and how he, are you supposed to, us. that's how are you supposed to do that when you guys are just like stuck in this sleeping bag, just being pushed around like a medicine ball. I, it, it would be like it'd be like Infinity War for me, you know, when Captain America catches uh, catches Thanos's punch. Mm-hmm. I'd be Captain America. The elephant would be the Thanos's punch. I'd be like that, and they'd be like, "Oh, respect, bro." It, would, it wouldn't <laughs> even have to be like that for me. I would just whisper to them about Mariota being garbage, and they would understand that he is, and they would agree with us, and then we would bond and have a, a kinship. Uh, all right, this has gotten uh, off the rails a little bit. I'll move on. I'll move on. I'm next here. And I'm going to talk about a quarterback that uh, is not named Marcus Mariota. Uh, a guy whose situation got worse is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And look, let, let's let's jump into time machine and let's go back. Let's go back about, I don't know, eight months, nine months. You know, we're at the beginning of the season last year, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting because Jameis Winston is is suspended and he's trash. So Fitzpatrick is starting and he takes the world ablaze the first few weeks. Do you remember that? Fitz Magic was like everyone was talking about this guy, throwing for like 500 yards and five touchdowns. He was living. I mean, he 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 was taking those weapons. Deshaun Jackson was catching bombs. Evans was I, everyone was was in that offense was fantasy gold at that point, right? 
He has a couple stinker games. Jameis Winston comes back and they decide to bench him. And it's a roller coaster for the rest of the year. And that coaching staff ends up weeping, right? So Fitzpatrick, as a free agent, goes, you know what? I'm going to go get a starting job somewhere, right? And the only the only team that comes calling is seemingly the last team to fill their starting position, the Miami Dolphins. And they say, ah, you know what? Yeah, we'll bring you in. And so he goes from having all these weapons like Mike Evans and Godwin and Deshaun Jackson, who, who I know left, but O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait, to going to Miami and throwing to the newly re-signed Devontae Parker, right? And, <laughs> and we got Albert Wilson, right, which I know John and I are high on, which is good. But, I mean, man, there's so much less in, in terms of weapons and supporting cast around him, right? So he goes to Miami, and he's like, oh, man, all right, well, you know what? Uh, it's Ryan Fitz, it's Fitz magic, you know, he'll, he'll make something happen even with the dolphins. No big deal. Right. Then the draft happens and they trade for Josh Rosen. And it's just like, it's almost like a, a just, just a, a nightmare situation for him. Like now, again, this guy's going to have to compete with another young quarterback. Who's going to be the uh, quote unquote franchise, which I like Rosen, but you know, I, it just, it, man, and and the journeyman quarterback looks like he's going to get pushed to the back again. And it just kind of stinks because when you think about it, man, what if, what if Tampa Bay decided, you know, well, let's bring him back. You know, I mean, we don't know what we got with Jameis. We'll let him compete for the job. And then Bruce Arians comes in as the head coach and he's got all those weapons back. I mean, how excited could we be for Ryan Fitzpatrick? And instead he's in Miami and it looks like the supporting cast stinks and now he's got to deal with Josh Rosen. I mean, ah, brutal. So do you guys see this my way or, or do you guys have kind of another take on it? I will say in terms of a real life situation, I'm sure Fitzpatrick does. I, I'm I, okay. I'll say this. I, I think NFL players want to play, but if you really think about it, Fitzpatrick gets 70 million or $7 million guaranteed over the next two seasons, maybe as a backup. It's kind of like what uh, was it? Matt Flynn did uh, after he lost that job to uh, Russell Wilson. He just kind of went around and made millions of dollars being a backup, not playing a down. Uh, so in terms of that, I would say a situation got better kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever watched Blue Mountain State, but the uh, the main one of the main characters, Alex, always wanted to be the backup because uh, he he always got kind of uh, the glorify glory, but he never had to play a snap and never had to be disappointment. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think obviously when you're bringing in a young uh, a young quarterback who was thought. Uh, who many thought that was the most NFL ready quarterback coming out of the 2018 class. His, his situation is going to get worse. I mean, you, you just added a extremely viable co competition to uh, take snaps from you next season. We will see what happens. Um, I, I would not be surprised to see Rosen sit a season work with uh Chad O'Shea over there, learn the now, uh, or learn the Patriots offense or, or now the um, Dolphins new offense, and then maybe get a chance if they f see enough from in practice and off season workouts, uh, they, they skip or they, they go past this um, rookie quarterback class coming up next season. Uh, and it's going to be a slim chance that they get Tua anyway, but if they can't get Tua, I, I think, uh, Josh Rosen is a viable backup there. And I think I personally think he still can be a very good quarter starting quarterback in this league. So 
I think Fitzpatrick might actually end up starting this entire season, but obviously I think next season will be uh he'll he'll be the backup there. Wow, interesting. I I have just been operating under the assumption that Josh Rosen takes over that starting job and just doesn't look back. I mean, I so I I'm I'm in full agreement on this take just because I mean above all else, you know, forget the weapons. I don't see a path for Ryan Fitzpatrick to really even get on the field. I don't I don't know why you wouldn't just let Josh Rosen get out there and you know, it just just take this thing over. Plus there's the fact that that picture came out where Ryan Fitzpatrick looked enormous. I don't know who this photographer is and how they keep catching these guys at that angle. Like they did that to Tony Romo a couple of years ago where he looked so fat. There's another one too, a, a, like a, a wide receiver, I think. They made him look really fat. I don't remember who it was though, but like I, I'm just assuming it's the same photographer every single time. And it's getting a little hard to trust it. It's it, like, is he actually that fat or was it just kind of a, a just like the way the light hit him or something? I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't, I don't know what kind of shape Ryan Fitzpatrick is actually in. And I, I mean, we saw some good stuff from Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, but we also saw a lot of interceptions. We got a lot of garbage time out of him, but that's not something that get that keeps you on the field in the NFL. Because if you have to get all of your production, all of your fantasy points in garbage time, it means, I mean, you're getting your ass kicked for three quarters. So, you know, they're they're going to want to put somebody out there who can actually give them a chance to win some games rather than to put up some numbers in the fourth quarter. And I think that's Josh Rosen. I think Josh Rosen can manage the game better, better than Ryan Fitzpatrick can. I think he can give them a better opportunity to win. And I think that's why he's the starting quarterback in Miami. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is for all intents and purposes done. I here So here's the reason I disagree there. I think the dolphins um, front office and coaching staff understand that it's going to be a long rebuild several years they did give brian flores five a five-year contract and i don't think they expect to win a lot of games this season i mean max max five maybe and i don't know why you would want to subject a young quarterback who probably already has his confidence shaken from last season to that kind of season Plus, we already uh, we are we know that the Patriots infamously have a hard offensive playbook to learn. I mean, we've seen several people fail. Uh, Chad Ochocinco did, I believe. Reggie Wayne did, and and that might have been more because they were at the tail end of their careers. But we, it, I, I think, regardless, it, it's pretty well understood that it's it's a hard offensive playbook to get right away. And letting Rosen sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe learn some of, not necessarily like <laughs> learn from one of the best, but learn from a veteran, a, an intelligent veteran, learn that playbook with Chad O'Shea 
I think is the better option. And, and I think that's, that's what they understand there is that they know that this team is a project and that Rosen's a little bit of a project at this point and they can be patient with him. Yeah. I I don't hate that. I I don't know. But uh, this whole time, ever since John said uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of looked a a little beefy, I I thought of a, a fat Ryan Fitzpatrick as like, here's a spoiler alert, but Thor from Endgame, um, just kind of, kind of came to my head and it's just a perfect image. So I've been thinking about that the whole time. Wait, is Thor fat? Spoiler alert. Holy God. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen any of these movies. It's, it's not a spoiler for me. Cause I haven't even, I haven't seen any of the Avengers. Listen, movies. It's not about you. <laughs> time, John. We have a lot of listeners. Well, then John. why the hell are we even talking about it? Oh, what an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm put a spoiler, like a spoiler alert right before what you're Good God. All right, all right, all right. All right, well. All right, moving on. Uh, Why don't anyways. you watch the second one here, John? <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Uh, Case Keenum. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, Dwayne Haskins was drafted by the Washington Redskins to become their starting quarterback. And as much as, as as much as I think Case Keenum is great for a rebuild, I don't think that they're, that they feel like they're in rebuild mode anymore. Now that they've got Dwayne Haskins, they also bring in Terry McLaurin, who has some, you know, some familiarity with Haskins from their time at Ohio state. Plus they bring in Kelvin Harmon. All of a sudden they rebuild that that wide receiving core. And I think that they want Haskins on the field sooner rather than later to start to build that comfort level with the rest of the wide receiving core. And uh, I so I wouldn't be surprised to see Haskins start from day one. I really wouldn't. I mean, I know that the ideal scenario is to have him sit behind Case for you know as much of the 2019 season as you can possibly stomach but man i would not be surprised to see them put haskins out there from day one no i i agree with this i i think the terry mclaurin draft pick kind of sells it for me just mm-hmm. because you're giving giving the guy a, a wide receiver he's familiar with that he can be comfortable with um and that offensive line is one of the best in the league. Uh, so uh, Haskins Haskins needs protection back there because he's not mobile, unlike what Stephen A. Smith thinks. And he needs that protection to be able to read the field. So I definitely agree here. I, I think Haskins is just, even at this point, bet more talented than Case Keenum. Case Keenum might have more of the – understanding of the playbook and understanding of how to read defenses and stuff like that. But I just think, I I don't know if the Redskins are necessarily going to be competitive this season, but I think Dwayne Haskins gives them the best chance to win. Yeah. I I don't hate it. I I agree. I think uh, I, I I don't think much of Keenum and I don't think much of the supporting cast. So why not throw the young guy in there in my opinion? So wouldn't shock me uh, if Haskins starts, I kind of expect it to be honest with you. So yeah, I I kind of agree with what both of you guys said. Perfect. So we'll move on to our third players. Mine is Kyle Rudolph. Vikings selected Irv Smith, uh, 
I believe in the third round uh, this season or this in this draft. Irv Smith is arguably the most NFL ready and complete tight end in this class. At the very least, he's top three. Um, the Vikings are starting to move towards a more balanced attack. While Kyle Rudolph is a fantastic pass catcher, he just wasn't used fantastic last season despite the uh, reputation that Kirk Cousins uses his tight ends. And when he's not being used like that kind of move tight end, he is just not a good blocker. I mean, uh, per PFF, he had a 39.1 run blocking grade, and this is 2017, mind you. So... But, I mean, that just tells you that he's just not a good blocker, and they need good blockers for Dalvin Cook and now Alexander Madison. And so Irv Smith is a complete running back – or uh, tight end, sorry. He he can inline block. Um, he's a great pass catcher, and he's more complete than Kyle Rudolph. And it sounds like uh, there were rumors that the Vikings were trying to move Kyle Rudolph either post-draft or pre-draft. I don't really – I don't really know what the timeline was, but so it looks like Kyle Rudolph's moving on here. He might be there for one more season while Irv Smith get, gets acclimated, but as soon as next season, I see Irv Smith taking over that uh, starting tight end role in Minnesota. Yeah, I no, I totally agree with you. I think Rudolph, the red zone tight end, is going to be on the move here because, yeah, it's a contract year for him, um, and it looks like the writing's on the wall that they're ready to move on with this you know, with drafting Irv Smith kind of looks that way. And it makes sense. I mean, Minnesota's 30th in cap space right now, um, you know, with big deals that they've given to obviously cousins, uh, Diggs and Thielen, it, it just doesn't look like there's room to, to bring Rudolph back an aging tight end. And then they draft Irv Smith. So I think the writing's on the wall that they're going to be moving on from him. Um, I don't know that he can't land in a positive situation, but as of right now, I mean, that's, that's a huge question mark. And, and for this year, I think they slowly start transitioning towards using Irv Smith more and getting him familiar with that role for when he does have to take over. So I agree with you totally. I think uh, Kyle Rudolph's situation definitely got murkier and it looks like the writing's on the wall. Like I said, I, I think Minnesota plans on moving on from him, and, uh, and it, it, you know, all the indications would point to that being the case. And I think with the uncertainty that's there surrounding him, uh, I, I could find some better tight ends in the area that he's going in ADP drafts uh, in ADP and super flex drafts. Um, so I would, I would pass on Kyle Rudolph too uh, with his situation getting as bad as it did. I've always felt like Kyle Rudolph was so overrated and I, 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 it, it actually really warms my heart to see the Minnesota Vikings kind of taking the position of, you know, it, it, we're not okay with that. We're not okay with just settling for somebody who, you know, can't, can't keep up with the rest of what this offense is trying to do. So uh, so I love this move for Irv Smith. Yeah, it definitely means the end of Kyle Rudolph. But I mean, for fantasy purposes, it means that we can finally stop pretending that Kyle Rudolph is something that he's not, which is an elite, you know, a, a top tier or one of the top few tiers, a top 12 type tight end. He's never been that to me. In fact, he's the guy, you know, that that gif of the the little girl trying to catch the ball and it like hits her in the face before she even tries to wrap her arm around it. It like bounces away before she can actually wrap her arms around mm -hmm. it. Yep. I've literally seen Kyle Rudolph do that with a football. 
I've seen it bounce off his stupid chest before he could even get his arms <laughs> around it. That's a pro athlete right there. That's you're paying that guy to catch the ball. He's got to at least get his hands up there fast enough so that it looks like he he actually knows how to catch a football. You can't have it just bounce off your chest. Boy, this this bashing of Kyle Rudolph is entering Eric Ebron status here. <laughs> he's he's up there for sure. I, in fact, I would trust Eric Ebron to catch, you know, uh, uh, all things being equal. I, I would trust Eric Ebron to catch a football more than Kyle Rudolph. But yeah, I mean, this is this is a this one's a pretty easy one. This one's a slam dunk. So I'll just let James go on to his next one. Yeah, my next one is Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger. And look, I could I could sit here and hate on Big Ben for, I mean, how long do we have? But uh, I'm not going to. I'm just going to go ahead and say his situation obviously got worse. I mean, you know, they didn't bring back Le'Veon Bell, who's an excellent pass catching back. Not that James Conner isn't a good pass catching back, but Le'Veon Bell is one of the best I think we've seen out of the backfield at uh, becoming that safety valve uh, for Big Ben. Um, they got rid of Jesse James, which I know Vance McDonald kind of took the reins there as the main tight end later in the year. But, you know, he's he's not reliable week in and week out. Jesse James had some weeks where he was the guy. And obviously Antonio Brown leaves, and you really didn't replace him. Obviously James Washington's going to – going to get a, uh, a a larger role you would think um, but I don't know I, I don't know that you replace Antonio Brown so I mean just the supporting cast just got worse and it, you know it's tough to see Big Ben um, putting up the numbers that he has previously um, I mean you know Juju Smith-Schuster is going to see some tighter coverage now he's going to see a lot more cornerback ones and you know you can kind of shade in his direction a little bit until James Washington and other weapons prove that uh, the adding of Dante Moncrief does very little for me so I, I think that supporting cast just got worse. And not that I don't expect Big Ben to be good. I think he will be fantasy uh, relevant again. I think he'll be a good fantasy quarterback, you know, towards that 10 to 12 range, maybe even eight, eight to 12 range, depending on on how, how often they throw the ball. Cause you know, he normally chucks the ball up a bunch. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the supporting cast got worse. So what do you guys think? Am, am I crazy on this one? No, I think you're right. Uh, he had the most pass attempts of his career last season. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to replace 166 targets from Antonio Brown. Uh, obviously, James Washington's not going to get 166 targets. Uh, they're not all going to go to Juju. I, I think Moncrief gets a little bit. Deontay Thompson probably gets involved here. Um, a little bit too, but yeah, I, I expect I, those passing attempts are probably going to drop below 600, which isn't, doesn't say a ton, but even in like 2017, he had 561 and 2016, he had 509. And I think with the um, development of James Connor, they're going to rely a little bit more on James Connor to run the ball as long as he stays healthy. So yeah, I, I definitely see a step back for Ben this season, I believe he was the uh, our, the QB two last season. So definitely think his stats are going to drop with that drop in pass attempts. Yeah, that that one's a pretty easy one as well. Just I mean, again, just like you guys said, just the volume has to go down. Um, real quick though, just to just to piggyback off of this one a little bit. I think I, I have a feeling that Jalen Samuels is going to be a lot more involved in the passing game. I think they're going to use him in a variety of ways, including lining him up as kind of a tight end. And uh, I think that that's part of where these some of these targets are going to go. 
uh, which actually is going to hurt Jalen Samuels more than anything. He's no longer the handcuff to James Conner, I don't believe. I think he's just another he's he's Xavier Grimble. He's just another piece of that overall passing game. So that's another one that I think actually his uh, his situation gets hurt. All right, my last guy, Russell Wilson, and that one kind of it hurts me a little bit to 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 do this, but partly because I've got to go back on the attack of a guy who, you know, I spent the entire 2017 season talking about him and I had to fight literally all of Twitter over this. And you know, in 2018, I ended up actually being fairly high on Russ. I said that, you know, I thought that there that the the offense was going to be far better than people expected. It wasn't quite that. I mean, the the running game was was definitely the focal point, definitely the dominant piece. Uh, but I think that Russ performed about how I expected him to. I thought that he was quite a bit better when it, it became his team, finally. The Legion of Boom is gone. It's Russell Wilson's team. And they they only solidified that by giving him the long-term deal. But the problem is here, you lose Doug Baldwin, it sounds like, probably to retirement. And you bring in DK Metcalf, who does the exact same thing as Tyler Lockett. They're both deep threats. They don't, they don't do a whole lot beyond that. So, I mean, you as much, and I love Will Disley, but I mean, you can't expect him to, to be your chain mover. You need a, you need a perimeter wide receiver who's going to run the entire route tree and kind of work all levels of the field. And they don't have that. They, they, brought in DK Metcalf I assume to be that but he's not so I don't I I don't like this situation anymore I don't like the receiving core and I think that it's it's poorly put together to a point where I'm worried about Russell Wilson going forward uh, as far as his passing numbers go that's interesting. You know, you bring up some interesting points, and I, I agree with you for the most part that I don't like relying on rookie receivers in their first year. Um, so, you know, I I, I kind of get it. I kind of, you know, as, as you were talking, I kind of just slowly started winning me over. Um, I do think DK is wrongly being being typecast as a deep threat though. I think there is more that he can do. I mean, he has the frame to be able to do more. Um, I know he doesn't have a lot of lateral quickness and that kind of showed in the, in the three cone, but I mean, I, 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 he's definitely shown that he can do more than just, just run, go route. So I think that he can do other things. Um, so that that to me is is part of the equation there. But I, I think you're right. I think, you know, you get Will Disley back and, you know, maybe that helps a little bit, um, you know, in that intermediate route. But losing Doug Baldwin definitely does hurt um, a little bit just because of the role that he played. Uh, but, I man, I just – it doesn't seem to matter with Russ. And maybe that's just – my take on it, but it just seems like this guy, even with, I didn't think the sporting cast last year was that good. I mean, I, I don't Doug Baldwin really. And uh, you know, Ty, Tyreek Lockett, like before last year, were we convinced that this guy was going to be, you know what he was. I, I, I almost think Russell Wilson almost makes the 
the people around him better. And I expect him to do that again this year. So while I while I agree with you, I think you can make a case that the supporting cast has has gotten worse around him, and that's kind of the question that we're answering here. So well, I, I guess I'll agree with that. Um, I still don't know that I expect it to affect him fantasy wise as much as maybe it it would somebody else. So I I do agree with that. The part about you know I, again this is this is Russell Wilson's team at this point, and they gave him the money that they gave him rather than letting him walk a year from now because they believe that he on his own can lead this, at least this offense to a Super Bowl win. So I, I, I do agree with that part. Something is going to in the, in the passing game, somebody is going to get some of that volume. He's, he's going to find somebody and he's going to latch on to somebody. Maybe it's David Moore, but I don't, I don't know if it's enough to to get him you know back into that elite tier uh where we're kind of used to him being um i i i think that he uh he could definitely help them win some games um but from a statistical standpoint i just i i I don't know it's it's not a it's just the wrong the wrong roster construction at the wide receiver position particularly so I mean I think somebody's going to step up, somebody's going to be fine, but I think overall this is just they they've they've just lost too much over the last couple of years and haven't really replaced it. If if DK becomes that guy, I think we're several years away. I think it it him as an all-around wide receiver one it, it, that's a that's a project. The only way he contributes right away is on the deep stuff. So I'm going to disagree a little bit here. Uh, just basically based off of what team, and, and I agree somewhat with James based off a of team build last season. I mean, we didn't think he was going to be great last season because they were built around the run, but he was still the QB five last season. Yes. He had to be ultra efficient, but. I think you still have the same wide receiver build and maybe even a little bit better. So that's where I disagree with you, John, is Tyler Lockett actually played almost 35% of his snaps from the slot. So he took a lot more snaps from the slot than he ever has in in, um, replacing Doug Baldwin when Baldwin was down uh, with multiple injuries. And I think that's kind of where this is going is Lockett will – play that Baldwin T.Y. Hilton type role in this offense where he will get near 50% of his uh, snaps from the slot, still have that chance to go deep, but then you have DK, a much larger uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf able to beat people deep with his size and, and, and speed. And we know what Russell Wilson's deep ball looks like. He's got one of the prettiest deep balls in the game. So that is why I think that DK Metcalf can be impactful right away. And mind you, I don't like DK Metcalf. Like I never, when he came out and everybody, or, or when, when we heard that he was going to be in the draft and everybody was praising him and ha- saying he has the highest ceiling, I didn't see it. But I think he lands in a perfect position where he can – make an impact right away. Like I said, with that deep ball, I mean, Russell Wilson's deep ball um, completion percentage was second in the league and his air yards per attempt was third in the league. So now you have a 
bigger, stronger outside uh, receiver that can get down the field. You have a Tyler Lockett that can, while I don't know if he can fill be that uh, slot receiver that Doug Baldwin was, I do think Tyler Lockett can fill into that slot receiver role fairly admirably. And like I said, kind of be that T Y Hilton for this class. And then we got, or, or for sorry, for this team. And then we got guys like Greg Jennings, who's also a speedster that, on the outside. David Moore showed us flashes last season. Will Disley's coming back. We saw what he did in his first two games and let's not get, let's not uh, be mistaken. This team is built around the run. So they're going to run the ball. But I think this wide receiver core is actually better this season than it was last season. So even if there is some regression, I think that it's mitigated by the the way these re- wide receivers are built. I mean, that's it's interesting to think about Tyler Lockett taking over the Doug Baldwin role. That's definitely a, an angle that I hadn't really considered. I mean, he, yeah, yeah, I could, I could see it. And I, I'm hoping for the best. I personally don't like it, the idea of relying on DK Metcalf as a rookie again, uh, and, and as particularly DK Metcalf. I mean, it's kind of universal for rookie wide receivers, but I mean, DK seems like, uh, you know, more of a target, more of a project type of guy than most. So it's it's not something that I'm going to be real willing to do to you know to rely on him to be any kind of significant piece of that offense in year 1. Um but you know well, and that's fair enough and and I think it, there's nuances to the wide receiver position in terms of route running and telling a story with your route running what have you that DK exactly. needs to work on. But like I said his strength right now is getting deep and using his his body to and and uh, physicality to uh, high point the ball, and I think that is something that he can do right away and be successful at in the NFL. Um, and really, I think that's all that team needs right now uh, to fill in that kind of Tyler Lockett role. Um, have a guy that basically you can't play single high safety on because he's going to beat you and he's bigger than most, mostly all of your defensive backs and he's faster than mostly all of your defensive backs. So you can't like he adds a dimension or can keeps a dimension of this offense um, that even, even if Baldwin's gone and Lockett moves into that slot that um, will maintain like, I, and I, and I can't say, okay, they're going to maintain that efficiency, but the type of offense they ran last season, I think will continue into 2019 because of that, what he can do right now. Right. Yeah. I just, to me, this all comes together when DK is a viable threat to run the entire route tree. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of good in throwing out a guy out there who, even if he is good on 50, 50 balls, he's got the speed for the, for those deep balls. It, it just doesn't do you a lot of good to throw him out there when the defense knows what he's about to do, you know? So I, I just think we're a couple of years away here from this offense coming back to where, you know, roughly where it's been. And, and, and by then it could actually go beyond that. I mean, I think that, 
I, I think this could be a very good offense in years to come, but I just I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for this to come together. All right, dudes. Well, thank you for uh, for allowing me to guest on this podcast uh, unexpectedly. You're coming back next week anyway. Shut up. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, you we'll, are. We'll see. We'll see. We have to go through your list, or we're going to invite somebody on. Have your people call my people <laughs> together and see what we can work out. Well, thanks to the guys for having me on this week. Uh, I again, I wasn't supposed to be on this week, but I am uh, working on a special project. Um, we'll have more information coming on that. Um, but uh, it's going to be some uh, some really interesting stuff, really important stuff um, for your Superflex League. So I'm I am planning on being out next week and letting the guys just do their own thing. Uh, maybe they'll bring in guests. Maybe it'll just be a little one-on-one action. Uh, we'll see. Uh, more information. Uh, is uh, is forthcoming but until then we are going to wrap it up for this week and as we do ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts you can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcast mega feed and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF and once you're subscribed if you'd give us a rating and review not all podcatchers give you the option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation, so that we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Stompy is at FFStompy. James is at underscore James the Brain. And I'm at SuperFlexDude. We can retweet them, help you get more votes and comments, and sometimes we even bring them here on the podcast to analyze them. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah, yeah.